0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Scanline Status for August 31st, 2016. I am, as ever, your host, Colin Detmar. And I'm uh, Ben Uncle. And we're here to discuss the latest in games, and also not the latest in games, just games. We're here to discuss games. Pretty much. How's your game, Ben? Ah. Uh, What's your gaming? Gaming's you, going pretty well, I guess. Um, You got game?
1: Got the most game. Alright, uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> that bit is over? Yeah.
1: Uh, okay, so... I guess I should probably start off talking about Abduction, since that's the thing that's been filling my mind lately. Um, abduction is this, uh... It's basically seeing worlds, uh... People who made missed. It's their first game since... Maybe two 2000- thousand seven or something maybe it has to be a little bit older than that but uh yeah they've they had they started a kickstarter a few years ago and i wasn't really sure what to make of it because their last two attempts at 3d games were uh u r u agents beyond mist and uh mist 5 end of ages and those games didn't really do 3d well they it, they went from this these really ornate, highly detailed environments to these blocky, kind of crummy three D setup that uh in two thousand five and uh two thousand two or two thousand three when Uru came out. It just wasn't up to par with their pre rendered stuff even as far back as Riven from the nineties. <laughs>
0: Their last game was Cosmic Osmo's Hex Isle in 2007.
1: Huh? I've never even heard
0: of that. <laughs> it was released the same year as Mist Online.
1: 2007? Oh, oh, that must be the GameTap revival that they did. Like, uh... Yeah,
0: uh, Uru Ages Beyond Mist was 2003, you're right about that. Yeah. But the Mist Online version of it was 2007. Um, and then, yeah, Cosmic Osmo.
1: Wow. But yeah, um they they spent all this time learning how to do three D properly, I guess well real time three D. And uh it's this really gorgeous game that not only has that whole thing people clamor for with these returns to form return to forms where they uh they basically really captured the Myst series idea of puzzles, where it's not really, it's not really sitting right next to a grid and um, <laughs> drawing one line to the next, like it is in, uh, say, The Witness from this same year. It's, it's basically coming a bunch of across a bunch of documents detailing the way these really complex machines work, and just walking around and figuring out how to start things up and uh, progress essentially.
0: Do any of these documents contain quotes from Greek philosophers about nothing in particular?
1: Oh no, they're all like uh well, basically the premise for this is uh just to get to what those documents are like is you're basically abducted into this alien sort of world that some is somehow habitable by humans and has been for several centuries and uh Basically, people from all sorts of time periods have fallen in at one point or another. So it's like this giant mix of older styles and dialects and newer things that just fell out recently into this weird gravitational force that kind of domes them in. And basically everything that explains what's being built and what they've done so far is done in very shorthand, sort of this is how i expect someone who's stuck in this situation to write more or less. Like, uh... They spend a really long time... One of the thing, first things that you see when you get here is this little... this holographic projector where basically the mayor... The is, is, mayor. is
0: having a TED talk? Is it a TED talk?
1: <laughs> no, it's uh, it's basically mm. explaining to newcomers what each area is like, and basically once you finally get to that, the person who made it, he has this um, garage where he basically details the different uh, elements of the world that he ended up tuning into creating this thing these little stands that give you information.
0: So, The Witness. Jonathan mm-hmm. Blows The Witness. And also, people other than Jonathan Blow, I obviously, team effort, right? Yeah. But The Witness was stated as an attempt to sort of, not like remake Mist or anything, but sort of capture that kind of feeling in a game modernly right
1: yeah that's the thing that's that was the promise that basically oh, no, not promise uh, promises are really promises thrown around really freely these days uh, it Intention? was hi- yeah it was I think at some point he said that he was very inspired by Mist, and it's clear that it has some of the similar ideas like it focuses on one particular area and just goes into detail with that one place to such an extent that it's really kind of astounding how each bit slots together. And it largely doesn't really tell you what you're supposed to be doing, which is somewhat, missed. A, somewhat a missed thing, but to be fair, mist always did have some sort of objective that they gave you. Like, even in the first mist, it was like, bring me red pages, bring me blue pages, and,
0: but that's not, like, okay, then in that sense, The Witness tells you solve puzzles, right? It tells you draw lines on the grid, right? Yeah. It, that's not really, like...
1: You know, that's what I was getting at. The Witness is a lot more... The Witness sort of tells you less than most um, CN games did. And uh, I guess the thing that I found kind of lacking is... It's more about sort of figuring out how each puzzle box sort of works. Whereas something like Riven, which is... I actually wrote about this some months ago when comparing The Witness to Riven. It's basically a situation where... Riven is putting you into the throes of a culture... That is basically entirely alien to what you've come to understand before. And the way that you progress through Riven is learning about each tier of culture basically which which ways they used to communicate what their beliefs were and you basically learn all this through osmosis more or less by seeing examples of what is happening through their murals their toys in kindergarten classes and things like that
0: but riven like riven is is very much a progression of the ideas in mist but it's a it's a very significant one in that concept at least as far as i remember mist i remember mist being a lot of puzzles that i mean like if i'm if i'm going to be harsh about it i'm going to say that they were like guess and check and almost incoherent right it's sort of like like it's like oh like there are these sigils of a horse and a cat and a bird and a dragon and a rhino and i have to do something with them and eventually something'll happen because of it but there's not really any way that i should know what i'm supposed to do yeah just that's kind of click around that- like and in that sense like does it feel like and, and this you know i I'm, I'm leading the witness here i guess <laughs> but fuck it it's my podcast it's your podcast too but you yeah, fuck it um does it feel like The Witness is kind of an alternate evolution from the starting point of Mist than Cyan themselves went?
1: I suppose you could put it that way, yeah. Um, it's like uh, the puzzles themselves didn't really advance. I mean, the puzzles in The Witness are really impressive, some of the ways that they handle that. And they have really amazing sort of aha moments, but... It doesn't really feel connected to the world in any way, and the only way you can find out maybe a quarter of what's happening is by basically finding a bunch of obscure audio logs that are also talking about uh, philosophical concepts. But somewhere in between some of them, they mention, they mention other people, or they mention who is speaking these philosophical moments, basically.
0: But they're real historical people, those quotes. So, like, that's... They're real, it's not like...
1: They're real historical people, but uh, the speakers themselves are not those people. And it oh, kind of... Oh, I see what you mean. It gives identity to those speakers.
0: So, like, I guess my interpretation of The Witness uh, is not... Is, is both... is not entirely generous, I guess. Uh, I am not a big fan of The Witness. Uh, that's... That's not a surprise, I think. Um but like I think a lot of the a lot of the philosophical stuff and uh you know, like the TED talk and like the statues and various poses. I mean I'm gonna make a reference to uh Super Hot, where in one of the levels in Super Hot you walk into a room and you examine a big red square statue on a pedestal and it pops up the message, art is art, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, like, it's, it's kind of, it's in that game, it's funny. In The Witness, it's kind of sad to me that it feels like parts of The Witness. I think there is a lot about The Witness that is artistic, but there's a lot of areas where it does things that it thinks are art- artistic and don't actually have meaning, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, but its puzzles, I don't feel like that. Because its puzzles feel very Jonathan Blow to me. Its puzzles feel like they are a response to Myst, where Myst puzzles were based on systems that weren't explained to you, and were kind of, kind of like they were they were built specifically for each puzzle. There wasn't generally a lot of overlap between puzzles, at least in, as as I recall. It's been a long time, and the game didn't really teach you. You just kind of poked and prodded your way through with no real overriding logic, other than you know observation experimentation and dedication um and the witness seems like a response to that that says like no like there should be a system underneath all of these that you're teaching people and what the witness is about is about understanding and enveloping yourself in systems
1: yeah i could i could i pretty much agree with that yeah and uh it's kind of interesting because there is a bit of that in abduction. Like, uh there are puzzles where you come across... uh well, You basically have to communicate with aliens at some point. A specific... There are several different species, but one of them in particular... You kind of communicate using this panel where you draw sigils to equal numbers. Mm-hmm. And the first one of those is incredibly easy. You go into a... uh once you finally make it into this uh, the shack that you see at the beginning, which doesn't take too long to get to, they you see something on a projector that basically shows you a simple symbol for that once you line everything up, and you basically just plug the number into the robotic machine that these creatures have built for you, and it gives you a number, and it's like, oh, I can use this number somewhere else. But once once you learn that specific part, you start finding these uh, different notes that people have left basically trying to keep track of this sort of number system themselves. And it's basically teaching you this whole alien language through this weird number system which is I'm really bad at math and it involves Hmm. primes or square roots and uh really fortunately someone within the very first few days of this game being out created this really in-depth documentation on uh, how you can use this number system and it's really remarkable just to look at it and have it taught to you and it's the situation where they put so much effort into it and it really works it really makes you buy into this notion of this alien race having to communicate in one form or another. But of course, the way that they count numbers is very different than the way that we count numbers and create numbers. So we basically have to find a middle ground in order to
0: communicate. Hmm. That's that's interesting that it's... Hmm. It feels like... Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, The Witness is, is is so very Jonathan Blow because he said, like, the problem with this is that there's all this culture getting in the way when it could just be about math and systems and, you know, like, variables, <laughs> which, you know, he's, you know, he's a programmer first and foremost, right?
1: Yeah, and uh, meanwhile, something like abduction, very much like Riven, they they do an amazing job of selling you this notion that this sort of system wasn't created by some coder in a building and it was very it was something that came about over time and was eventually mutually agreed on by two very different races,
0: essentially mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's, it's interesting to see the alternate evolutions Um, I haven't played Abduction yet and I would love to give it a look um, I'm gonna guess that I'm gonna like it better than The Witness, because that would not be hard
1: yeah, hopefully it can run on your PC because uh
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Abduction
1: is kind of a the, the price of getting graphics close to what uh Riven looks like in its pre-rendered sort of glory is uh it it's it can be pretty taxing at least on some of the higher settings. But man, mm. is it beautiful. You you see these banners that are basically instead of cloth, they're built of these small little crystals and except they sort of got knocked out the same way as you would see tears in a banner and it's really hard to describe this sort of thing i'm i'm kind of bad at describing visuals but it's just this really evocative sort of style that kind of filled me with wonder every time i came across something new
0: Hmm. so I have been playing not very much this week. I uh, I worked nine days in a row. I'm, I'm finally getting some some, some downtime, but didn't have as much time for gaming, so I played one game which I'm not allowed to talk about on this podcast because Dota, and I've got my own podcast for that. Check out Bottle Crow. We're on iTunes. Um, so I played Animal Crossing, and I played World of Warcraft. The expansion is actually out. Which would you like to hear about? We did talk about World of Warcraft a lot last time but also I I never run out of things to say
1: I am kind of curious about Animal Crossing because the last time we spoke about it not recently but several months ago you kind of mentioned that uh, you weren't interested in yet another mobile Animal Crossing and you were waiting for a uh, proper big console sequel that the Wii mm-hmm. U has never
0: received and at this point it's so clear that the Wii U is just never going to get it right? like they're not going to announce another first party full retail game for the Wii U.
1: Yeah, unless it's it is, a cross yeah. uh platform thing.
0: Yeah, and at the, but even that at this point there'd be very little reason for them to do so, you know. True. Um I I am pissed at Nintendo for for leaving me out in the cold on that one. Um but Yeah, like Animal Crossing is a series that I have not... I've always almost gotten into. I like it a lot in a lot of ways. And then I play a bunch of it and I don't... I get frustrated with it in a lot of ways. Um, and actually the reason I like it now... Like, there are a couple of reasons. One is that I have less time. and Because if if you have a lot of time to kill at once, Animal Crossing is not the game for you, because, like, individual sessions just aren't that long. You go in, and you do some fishing, and you talk to some villagers, and then it's like, okay, that's what I can do today. I could continue to fish up the same fish for hours, I guess, but there'd be no reason to, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a game you keep coming back and poking at and checking in on repeatedly over days, and that's been enjoyable, especially when I have breaks at work. Um... But the other thing is that, like, honestly, I have been sold... Like, I always liked elements of, of Animal Crossing style and tone. I have been sold so much more on them since the last one I played, which was on the original DS. Um, Wild World, I believe is what it was called back in the day. Um, it's been... that's That was high school. And in the time since, Twitter has been a thing. And occasionally on Twitter... I get tweets that recontextualize Animal Crossing in a way that I just adore. Right? Hmm. Yeah. Like, and like the like. I'm gonna paraphrase, but like, Animal Crossing is so popular because it epitomizes the millennial dream of having a yard and friends. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and like characters like like Tom Nook, who is just like you know like this buddy scumbag realtor who's just like, oh, great, like, yeah, you you can have a house, sure, you know, here's here's your loan for the house, and uh, I'll set up your tent, well, I'll set up, you up a tent while I work on the house, and you're like, okay, great, and so I'll stay in this tent till you finish the house, and he's like, oh, I'm not going to start on the house till you've paid off the loan entirely, I'm like, wait, what? Hmm. <laughs> and then you do that, and he's like, great, and he automatically upgrades your house so you're back in debt to him again, and you're like, oh, I didn't even ask you to do that, <laughs> Or, you know, there's Mr. Rossetti, who is a character that they added back... um, I don't know if it was on Animal Forest on the N64, which was a Japan-only release. But the first American release of the series was uh, on the GameCube with the original Animal Crossing there. Um, And Mr. Rossetti is a character that they added to prevent people from save-scumming. Because the whole point of the game is that it's this continuous world where there's really, like building an attachment and a history with the characters is the whole point and it's not like you can die in this game it's not like you can really get screwed in any major way and so by save scumming you're just basically guaranteed you're going to lose interest with the game pretty quickly because you're missing the point point. and so they added Mr. Rossetti as a way to keep people from save scumming because you can't like you can't just quit you have to save and quit And if you turn off the console without saving to avoid this, when the game loads your save, it automatically saves just basically saying, like, hey, I loaded this save, right? Yeah. And so, like, it knows that a save has been loaded and then not overwritten. So it knows you must have turned off the power or removed the memory card or something without saving. And so when you turn the console back on the next time, a mole... With, like, you know, a, you know a, like a miner's cap and a pickaxe and a real, like, she's got some big teeth on that guy, pops out of the ground and just starts chewing you out for resetting, right?
1: Yeah, and they try to make it um, the most aggravating uh, sort of experience possible, if I recall.
0: Yeah, they make it aggravating, but kind of comical how, like, how hardcore he's being about the fact that you must not reset. And, it like, the first time it's not that bad, the, like, in any of these, the first time he's just sort of like, say you're sorry and we can move on with our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it just ramps up and up and up. I have distinct memories of using the GameCube controller, like... The D-pad and A button on a GameCube to navigate an in-game keyboard, so I could type "I've been bad" with an exclamation mark. Any typos, any mispunctuation, any anything, and he made me type it again and yelled at me. And like, I didn't even reset that many times. It just gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> um.
1: He's like one and, of those frustrated uh, school teachers who makes you write stuff on the chalkboard. When... Totally,
0: he's he is like he's not he's like spe- a very specific teacher. He's like a frustrated gym teacher, right? Where he's like, it's not enough that you take the time to show that you're sorry. I want you to sweat for this. It's, it's I gr- he's a great character. Hmm. Um. And when I was playing Animal Crossing the other day, I was playing at work, I had my 3DS in my pocket, and I went to break, and I pulled my 3DS out of my pocket, and the cartridge was sticking halfway out. Because while moving around, I had bumped it. This has never happened to me with my 3DS before. This is a weird one-off. But apparently I bumped it in such a way that the cartridge popped out, which meant that the game stopped, right? Force quit.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So, I loaded back up, and I was like, "Oh God, here it comes, and indeed, Mr. Rossetti pops up, and he is like Hey you, uh you didn't save when you quit last time, and then like <laughs> the camera cuts back to me, and there's just sweat pouring down my face uh, and he's like, "What happened, man? Do your batteries run out and i was, and like my options were like, "Yeah, batteries ran out, or like something came up, or you know like a couple of options like that." and And he was like, "Yeah, I understand you know stuff happens." and he's like, "Hey, batteries on this thing aren't as bad as, aren't as good as they used to be. It's kind of a bummer and it's like did did this official Nintendo product just comment on the fact that the three d s s battery sucks um And then he's like, So listen, I used to have my own department, right? I used to have this section where I would officially chew people out for save scumming, and uh they lost my funding." So this is an unofficial visit, and next time you save Scum, I won't be here. That's on you. But, in this game, this is the first game where you are the mayor of the the village you're in. You're not just another person. And as mayor, you have the ability to allocate funding to things. And he's like, so if you want, you can allocate funding back to my department. So I can show up and chew you out. If you wanna give me money so I can yell at you, you can do that. The way Nintendo thinks sometimes is just magical to me.
1: Yeah, it's uh I've I've seen a bit of that myself in uh their Nintendo Badge Arcade thing, which is kind of a crappy sort of free to play claw game, but uh They have this bunny character in it that just, the way that they write him or her or whatever they, whatever it is, they, uh, they basically want to, they're basically playing around with longtime fans. Like they, they do, they do jokes that are somewhat hinting at, oh, hey, we might be teasing a sequel to this long known franchise, but no, it's just a playful jab sort of thing. And it dresses up in various uh, character costumes and basically just acts in a very fourth-wall-breaking sort of goofy way that knows kind of how to push your buttons in fun
0: ways. Yeah. So as pissed as I am at them for not not giving us a, a Wii U Animal Crossing... And I still am. You fuckers still aren't off the hook. I don't know. I like this is an old, this is at this point like a 3 or 4 year old game but it's still just a reminder of of the the things that Nintendo brings to the table that nobody else even tries and so um I'm excited for the uh Nintendo 3DS Nintendo Direct that is happening tomorrow morning
1: Yeah the main thing it's making me think is once again looking at my 3DS XL and going hmm should I move over to the new 3DS XL Why? Why? The performance on the 3DS XL kind of bums me out. Like, uh, whenever I turn it on, or move around to a certain game, or even just go back to menu, it's so sluggish. It's I I don't know if that will actually be fixed on the new 3DS, which is the reason why I haven't gone out and gotten it yet. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I started using the 3DS more so I could play... I So I can get back into Layton and stuff like that. And uh yeah, it's one of those things where it, it's kind of a crappy system sometimes.
0: Yeah, that's true. They're, those guys are not good OS designers. It's never been a thing they've been strong at.
1: Yeah. And I guess more recent games haven't been... Well, at least the Metroid Prime Federation Force thing is supposed to be kind of a terrible game. Like... uh mm. It's one of those things where everyone I've talked to is like, oh yeah, you can sort of play it single player, but it's that peace Walker situation of going into these certain fights will be really irritating and hard to do by yourself.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's... it's a bummer. So there was an, interesting announcement recently there have been a couple of interesting announcements related to the metal gear solid franchise hmm. uh the first of them which is the more recent one is that they're going to release a metal gear solid 5 like double pack with uh ground zeros and the phantom pain right
1: yeah I, I don't i don't particularly know why that one is uh a sort of move with them. Of course, they were going to try and pack the, both those in together at some point.
0: Well, the thing that is interesting about that to me isn't so much that they're doing that, though that is a little bit interesting that they aren't just like they're paying extra attention to that game and like they could just continue to leave those games up and have people buy them who wanted to buy them and get their money without drawing attention to a thing that Hideo Kojima made and given how petty they are it seemed possible that they might do that Um, but the interesting thing that happened around that is that people started harassing them about the uh, mission 51 stuff that was cut from uh, the game and uh, like basically like there's a bunch of, of cut content relating to like one last zone and one big mission and sort of a final boss fight that was supposed to be the end of the game um, as far as we can tell, right? Because there are some dangling plot threads that are pretty major, some big plot holes that were just not addressed, and this addresses all those and just isn't done, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know why they're harassing Konami over that, though, since it's pretty much Kojima leaving it unfinished.
0: I don't think that's at all fair. Like, well, it's, I mean... Setting aside the the issue that we'll get to in a minute, like, I don't think you can blame Kojima for the fact that they basically, like, got tired of him working on this game, so they fired him.
1: I think you can when he spent a crazy amount of time and it was basically shaping up to be...
0: It was three years. People have this narrative of a crazy amount of time. It was three years. That's ah. not at all crazy for a mega game in this industry. That's not at all crazy.
1: Yeah, I guess that's not too bad of a wait. I kind of I got the impression that it was one of those things where he was working on it somewhat simultaneously with his other stuff. So
0: I mean, he probably had some ideas dancing around, but like production started in 2012 and finished in 2015. And yeah, at that rate It seems like if they'd waited another six months, we would have had a full game. Um, that's, that's spitballing. That's not a claim I can really make, I guess. But, you know. In any case, like, it's fine. But, like, I I do think the people who said, no, you're done, ship it as it is, stop working, are the people who get the blame for it not being done. Um... But the thing that was interesting is people basically being like, well, since you guys are coming back to work on this game again, are you going to try and finish this stuff up? Right? That's, that was sort of the nature of the inquiry is like, if you are coming back to these games to do more work on them, are you going to try and finish up Mission 51? And Konami, like on Twitter, but like they were pretty direct in a way that I haven't seen the be in a long time about anything Um, where they were like mission 51 is cut content and people were like, but it's, you know, the ending of the game isn't there. And like the ending of the game is mission 50, mission 51 is not canon. Mission 51 is not anything. Stop talking about it. It's like, Oh, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Like just putting their foot down.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's, it's something that didn't, it's, it's something that, uh, wasn't in the finished project and you can put quotes around that but uh
0: yeah I mean you know it's it's on the disc coffee style but yeah yeah but yeah no and and like at one point they say like someone says like but it has like major story elements and, and the, the tweet in response to that one is like every piece of cut content has story elements like yeah no you're right like it's not in the game it's not in the game I think it should have been in the game I think the game would be better if that were part of it but it is not, and this is what we have. And it would be cool if they went back and finished it. That would be really weird if they did without Kojima. That would be really strange, because that... I could tell... Like, it wouldn't mean anything to you, but some of the stuff that they do... Like, those cutscenes are pretty far along, so you can watch a lot of what's in that. And some stuff happens that's like, oh, this was made by Kojima. Not creepy, just, like, weird. Like... There is a plot point, it like, there is a major thing that happens because Snake barely fails to avoid a grenade, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he gets knocked down, and the, like, the impact to his head temporarily shorts out his ability to dis- distinguish the difference between red and white. Okay. And he makes a decision based on that. And that's like, that... There are not a lot of people working in this industry who would make that a major like trigger in an event right yeah that's just it's 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 really cool the like watching it happen it's it's pretty neat um because it's not like anyway i'm talking about it too much but the other thing that has happened with metal gear solid 5 of course is that there is a new metal gear solid 5 product i guess metal gear survive
1: yeah, basically the way that they announce it is kind of funny too because the trailer is uh, the trailer starts off with uh, I haven't finished the game so I don't know if this is at the end of mission fifty or whatever but uh, basically mother base is in Well, whatever they're calling their mother base in that is basically exploding. Basically every every key character in Metal Gear Solid Five is in a chopper flying away from the accident and they're leaving this random soldier behind who gets sucked into a wormhole and then has to fight zombies and
0: on an alien planet with like makeshift bow and arrows and stuff. Yeah. Um. So that cutscene takes place at the end of ground zero slash beginning of phantom pain. It is, it is part of the bridge there and it is like, up until the part where you see the random soldier and go, wait, who the fuck is that? It is like, it is the exact cutscene. Like, it's not reshot, it is that exact cutscene, and then they inserted, like, this shot of this dude, like, looking at the helicopter like, fuck, and you're like, who are you? And then the wormhole opens you <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah, and they're, they're the fragile kind of zombies, like, they explode into glass or whatever when you shoot them.
0: Like, listen, I don't have any problem with Metal Gear continuing without Kojima. In fact, I think it's a good idea. Right? For sure. I don't... If there is someone I trust less than Hideo Kojima to make tasteful choices, it's Konami?
1: Yeah, they're the ones that uh, in the Silent Hill HD collection replaced fonts with Comic Sans and...
0: And also, just like on a on a on a more grand grand strategy kind of level, they're run in a way that has been proven to be consistently like petty and anti-consumer. Like some of the like the changes they made to Metal Gear Online with like the offshore bases and stuff, where they started taking away things that people had in offline games to try and force them to pay them money to use their free-to-play garbage in a sixty-dollar game. You know, like, they they have been pretty abusive to customers and and their development teams alike. Um, you know, fucking they made some of them work as janitors to try and get them to quit because they did, couldn't fire them. Like, they're garbage. Um, I would love it if someone else was working on this, but it seems to be Konami themselves, which makes me a little skeptical, right? And also just, I don't care about a survival game with zombies I'm not writing this game off because we don't know enough about it for that to make any sense right mm-hmm. and I like Metal Gear and I'm curious but like you know it's there has been a reaction from some people of you know like the, there's the the backlash of a bunch of people being, people being like this looks like shit and then there's the people being like oh you're just saying that because Kojima not involved it's like no I'm saying it because it looks like shit. (laughs) And I'll keep an eye out for it. And I hope it's good. I hope it's cool.
1: Yeah, the one thing that kind of caught me by surprise... I don't know if I'm seeing things in the trailer that aren't actually there, but uh, I feel like I saw... I think his name is Boris from Metal Gear Rising. I think he's in there somewhere. Like in one of the shots... he has a really similar sort of structure to what Boris looks like and that's like
0: i i bet that's i bet that's just a coincidence i i would think i would think
1: yeah cuz that
0: would not make any sense
1: well it was it came from, Boris is from Melgear Rising so sense doesn't sense doesn't factor in as much as it does in even well, like, the crazier Melgear
0: solids i know there are wormholes involved right but Metal Gear Rising is set about 50 years later than Metal Gear Solid Five. That's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, trying to argue against the logic of a thing in...
1: Metal Gear Solid.
0: Yeah, especially a Metal Gear Solid that doesn't seem to like doesn't seem to have a person helming it. Like, say what you will about Kojima and his craziness. At least he was steering towards something, right? He steered in a real erratic way, but he was steering towards something. I haven't got the sense that there's anyone really like at the helm of this ship. Um That's like if they want to do something to make me like have some faith in Metal Gear Survive, that's the thing they'll do. Is they will, like, bring someone out from the team who's like, hi, my name's so-and-so, I am the project lead from Metal Gear Survive, this is what I'm thinking. And, fucking, almost regardless of what they say, like, obviously they could probably come up with something Like, they could say something racist or something, I guess, if they wanted me to not trust them. But almost regardless of what they say, just showing that there was a person in charge who had a vision would make me have so much more faith in the project, because it smells so much right now like a project with no direction. Like a project that is chasing fads, and using what assets are lying around.
1: Are they even accepting interviews, or is it one of those situations where they're just releasing info and... Like thanks,
0: I mean I think it's the latter, but it's also it's a Japanese publisher. Like it it doesn't have like it doesn't have to be a bad sign for a Japanese publisher to not want to talk to you. Sometimes they're just kind of insular, you know.
1: True. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. I'm I'm curious about that that whole thing.
1: I hope is it's good. Just like I hope any game is good.
0: Sure. I mean I hope a little more than that because I. I still care about Metal Gear. It'd be easier if I didn't. Here we are.
1: Instead, we'll have the next few years of uh, Kojima re- tweeting every single small development that happens. Like, oh, we spent. Uh, we we already have an introduct. We already have the introduction for our game planned out. When we don't seem to have a game yet, <laughs> it's like okay.
0: Yeah. I don't yeah, I'm I'm actually not super interested in his new project. I don't know. Maybe I should be.
1: Maybe once we understand once maybe once it actually exists and isn't just a bunch of concept videos I'll be interested.
0: That's true. Cause yeah, I it's it's been a long time now since I've gotten to the point where if you don't show me you know, if you show me a teaser trailer that is pure tease, then I am not teased. I am just bored.
1: Yeah, and that's all the stuff they've done with that so far is, like, the extreme of that.
0: Yeah. Now, getting back to things that are a little more concrete, tell me about Rhythm Thief.
1: Okay, so, uh, I kind of picked this up on a whim because, uh, well, by the time this recording gets out, the sale will be over, but, uh, it's basically until September 1st, it's like five bucks as download, and, Hmm. uh, it's this really sort of interesting amalgamation of Professor Layton and a rhythm game. Basically, you play this, uh. Fancy. You basically play this, uh, red haired kid who wears a suit and fedora named, uh. Or whatever. It might be a different type of fancy hat, but I get those names wrong. I think it's a Trilby. Trilby, yeah, that's it. He's like, uh phantom R,
0: (laughs) internet don't judge me
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's this person named phantom R, and he basically goes around paris uh stealing valuables in order to unlock the secret that his that basically made his father disappear three years ago and uh it's this really upbeat sort of thing that really has me invested even in after just playing one chapter, like, he's super stylish and is jumping around everywhere, Break dancing. flying across the sky, sort of thing, with really exaggerated jumps. He has a dog named Fondue who, uh, is very receptive to whatever he's saying, more or less. And, uh, the rhythm games themselves, so far, each one I've played, has been completely unique. Even though I've only played four, it's kind of interesting to be like, oh, here's this one where you're just doing this DDR style, swipe left or right, and then this other one where you're sneaking through a museum. Basically, you're running from statue to statue, and you have to press the right statue. Um, You basically have to blend in with statues, so you have to choose the right pose right when you reach a statue so security guards don't see you.
0: Oh man, are you do you duck down and grab the statue's crotch like a Melgar solid for?
1: Oh no. <laughs> but there are, there are some where you're in a ridiculous pose, like crouched down and trying to mimic some basically some really obscure art sculpture. And Yeah, it just really has this really nice breakneck pace to it. Hmm. And the animation is gorgeous. It's it's one of those situations where Handheld technology has come a long way, so instead of the really compressed, tinny sort of videos you'd expect out of earlier Professor Laytons, it basically uses the entire 3DS uh, top screen and is really beautifully animated. And it's it's a really nice balance for someone like me who enjoys the puzzle puzzles and worlds of Professor Layton. But uh is also really into rhythm games.
0: Well, that sounds that sounds pretty nice actually. I uh I got it as part of a Nintendo Humble bundle and the download was bigger than any of the memory cards I had, so I was like, well I guess I'm not getting it.
1: <sighs> yeah, um, I ended up but... getting a um when I got my three D S XL, I ended up getting a thirty two gigabyte uh, S D card and just slapping that in there, so yeah, but no that sounds worries. worth
0: worth going back for. Um, my only observation, however, would be if I was a member of law enforcement, and I met a person just out in the world who was named Phantom R, I would just arrest them.
1: Well, he he goes he goes by Raphael when he's not ra- oh. stealing things, and
0: oh, very okay, he, very cunning. Never mind, my bad. <laughs> well,
1: he he does enough of a, of a costume change where it's like. It's kind of similar to the Superman thing, except a bit more change of clothing and uh, style. He's kind of like this... When he's Raphael, he's kind of like this bookish kid who... Basically someone that you'd see researching um, ancient treasures and stuff like that.
0: Sure, sure. Okay.
1: And somehow I've met What is uh, what the story is hinting at to be the resurrection? I the resurrected Napoleon Bonaparte. That's the main enemy right now, aside from the police.
0: Okay, sure, yeah, like you do. All right. Well, how about okay? You've been wanting to talk about Goldeneye Reloaded for a while, so how about how about we at least touch on that?
1: Okay, yeah. It's uh, I recently finished that. I had to. bump the difficulty down to the lowest setting because the final area is just super cheap. Like, the GoldenEye will be firing out of control near your area, and it's really easy to accidentally go the wrong way.
0: Is it not the final level from the N64 game?
1: Oh, no. Uh, Basically, the way that GoldenEye works is... uh, Well, GoldenEye Reloading is... The structure is somewhat similar, except it feels like there's a lot less levels, and uh, while you're still ending up in what the game calls the Cradle, where you're kind of running across this catwalk area to get to the firing mechanism, mm-hmm. you're not over this gigantic dish or anything like that, you're what? you're in this giant building that's somehow raised from the ground, and... Uh, it it's really weird like that. It really I don't it's know if you've seen choice. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you've seen the movie.
0: Uh, yeah, I have.
1: It's it's this really weird thing where they pick and choose moments to be somewhat closer to the Nintendo sixty four game, like the the whole first three levels is pretty much the first three levels that you play in Goldeneye, reaching the dam, going into the dam, and escaping the dam. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do. They set up certain things to be somewhat more like the movie. Like instead of shooting the guard in the toilet, you do the thing Pierce Brosnan does, where you lower down, you lower upside down, and you sock the guard. But it's one of those things where they it loses a lot of the charm that the movie has by trying to be close to both the original game and the movie. And somewhat go on its own. Like you don't get any of Boris, which is Boris Grushenko, Krish- or some- I forget his last name, but the hacker character from Goldeneye, the movie,
0: the one who's invincible.
1: Yeah, he's he's an amazing part of that movie, and you don't get anything close to that character. You get you get some of Natasha saying stuff like, "You two are like boys with toys." When she's when you're arguing with that guy in the prison and you you have that whole interlocking battle between Bond and Alec Trevelyan where you're basically like for England and he's basically talking about how dumb it is that you fight blindly for England and it's one of the situations where it picks the it picks the moments from the movie that it's somewhat like, oh yeah, I'll nod along to that a bit, but... By trying to update it to modern times... It loses a lot of... It's somewhat charm. Like, uh... The damn part at the beginning, you're not bungee jumping. You don't even get to see what happens. Basically what happens is... You're supposed to be parachuting... Stop.
0: Stop. I just fucking realized... That the fucking Bond versus trevelin' thing is the same as Big Boss versus the boss in Metal Gear Solid 3. I just realized.
1: Yeah. and It has a similar similar conclusion at the end, too. Like, uh, when Bond is finally taking out Alec, he's like... No troubling for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Except for then there's not the twist where Alec actually set all of this up on purpose to...
1: Yeah, he wasn't okay. trying to make Bond grow. He was trying to actually blow shit up. I'm and sorry
0: I'm stupid readers. This just I just figured this one out.
1: <laughs> I, I bet Kojima was inspired by that in some way. as Since he loves movies. But yeah. Um, the whole damn thing at the beginning. You're not bungee jumping. You're parachuting. But you don't get that either. Because to escape uh, guards who run up to you where you are about to jump... You let the the parachute out early. He jumps. It goes into... The camera goes into his eye. And then after a title sequence, it just pulls back to him swimming up to where Alec is and getting up. And it just... It doesn't seem to... Basically, its idea of uh, danger and excitement is a lot closer to... Very generic forms of Call of Duty. like I I very sparingly use Call of Duty as an insult because I kind of like that game, and I think that some of its set pieces are pretty amazing. But there is that sort of mediocre sort of Call of Duty set piece where things are just blowing up for no good reason, and you're you have to clamber over things when it seems like it would be easier to go a different way. And it just... Like Lengthens part of that story that. W- parts of the story that I never was interested in. Like, uh. Instead of, uh, the quick thing where Xenia on the top steals the helicopter from the aircraft carrier and Bond gets in trouble for somewhat being in the vicinity of it, what happens is they basically take over the entire heli- helipad carrier somehow. They have this entire army that comes in at this. At this gun show that they reiterate time and time again is filled with all sorts of soldiers that uh, want to that would stop anything from like this, like an entire army from happening. <laughs> and basically, the entire helicraft explodes. The helicopter gets away, and Bond basically gets another heat. And it feels very slight in that way, like you never. You never get the impression that Bond is actually getting trouble for anything that he's doing. And that's kind of a big... GoldenEye the movie was one of the first times where they actually super-emphasized, no, you have to... You're you reigned in in some regards. And... It kind of added this interesting tension to it that kind of set off the new era of Bond, more or less. And... There's none of that here. You get a bunch of of Quantivisola-style gadgets and basically it's updated to be like I'm gonna wipe out all the entire debt like Mr. Robot. That might have been part of the story in the original Goldeneye, 9, but they sort of add this whole sorts of modern era I'm doing this to free the the poor from debt and stuff like that. And it just feels really slight the way that they do it. And hmm. it's it's disappointing because they hired the guy who wrote and directed the original Gold line to come back and write a new treatment for this. And it just feels like they cut out large swaths to make way for very uninteresting gameplay segments.
0: I expected you to be pretty positive on this game.
1: I did too. Like, uh... I'm... I've probably made no secret that I think that the original GoldenEye had... The original GoldenEye video game hasn't held up very well at all. But it was just so disappointing to be like... Right after... I kind of put myself up to play this by watching the original movie. Which is probably a bad idea. <laughs> but, uh... It was such a bummer to see it pick and choose certain moments and leave out... Moments that really meant a lot to me in the movie. Like, uh... Italia basically coming... Basically... Going to the bathroom, then coming back and seeing most of her coworkers dead and this place overrun and in flames. They did some really neat, emotional things in that movie that you'd get none of in this, and it it tries to be the movie just enough that instead of being some some sort of cultural shooter landmark just because nothing else was quite like it and it was just super silly like the Nintendo 64 version it just it tries enough but not it tries enough to be to have something to fail at but not enough to actually succeed at it if that makes any sense
0: it does it does let me ask you one last question one last chance for this project to somewhat redeem itself how's the soundtrack
1: um, I can't really comment on the soundtrack because I didn't really, Oh man, it didn't really
0: stick out at all.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It was, they, they do this thing where they recreate the theme song with a different singer and that was okay, but it wasn't really, it didn't really hit the same notes, but other than that, it's very, It it's nothing close to Grant Kirkhope's original is what I'm trying to say.
0: Uh, that actually wasn't Grant Kirkhope.
1: Oh, I thought he did all the stuff for Rare.
0: No, um, he did, like, I think he, I guess he helped with that one, but he wasn't in charge of that one that was, uh, Graham Norgate. Um, but yeah, that, that GoldenEye 007 soundtrack on N64 was a banger.
1: Yeah, it made for a really great, uh, mashup of rap album, like, decades later.
0: I have not heard that. Um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's too bad. Um. I don't know, I I always, personally I questioned the point of this project to begin with. I don't I don't tend to appreciate these sorts of projects put frankly. Like you can you can up old games and I think there's value to that, but when you start changing the gameplay, then I just don't I don't, then make a new game.
1: A new game might have, uh, not com- I mean, this one might not have, uh arrived at all, because originally their plan was to re-release the original GoldenEye on 360, Mm -hmm. and uh, at some point it was going to be for the Wii also, and Nintendo at the last minute just went like, nope, uh, we'd rather not do this after all. So, that thing is just a cancelled project. And They actually came out with footage of it recently, like a whole 30-minute chunk. And it's pretty much what you'd expect. It it looks a whole lot cleaner, and there's a button you can press to make it look like the older game instantly. Except it's a bit le- It's a bit more readable because it's not moving at five frames a second.
0: That game didn't have that bad of frame rate issues.
1: I played it Perfect pretty recently. Perfect Dark but I played it re- re- pretty recently, and
0: how it, recently?
1: Probably like a. Almost a year ago.
0: Okay, then I've played it equally recently. That game didn't have that bad of frame rate issues. Did you have your expansion pack? I bet you didn't have your expansion pack.
1: I never had an expansion pack for my Nintendo There you 64.
0: go. <laughs> there you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the jury convenes with that episode of Scanline Status. Ben does not have an expansion pack. Mail Ben your expansion pack. Ben, where can people mail you expansion packs for Nintendo 64? Um...
1: I'd rather I'm, not give I'm, out I'm, my address on the air. I'm just giving you a hard
0: time. Uh, but if you want to give us some other... If you want to give us money to maybe buy Bennett N64 Expansion Pack, unless you say that's what it's for, that's not how we'll spend it. But if you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash scanline media. Give us a little money. That money goes towards getting us new things to cover for the site. Games and equipment.
1: Yeah, Abduction, which I'm working on, came from that money. So thanks, supporters. World of Warcraft,
0: which I am... Yeah, the, the new expansion. I'm paying for the monthly part myself, but I got the expansion with this with this money. And uh, I'm getting a lot of use out of that. I'm getting a lot of words. Like, when I finally actually make these things done, I'm probably going to have, like, three articles on this freaking thing. I have feelings about World of Warcraft. Anyway, hmm. you could also go, of course, to Scanlanemedia.com if you want to check out some of the articles we've written there. Uh, ben, you had one go up this week about No Man's Sky.
1: Yeah, basically emphasizing how it it is kind of. I mean, the gameplay loop is kind of mediocre, but within it, you can find these moments of wonder that kind of make it
0: worth it to me. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have another podcast on there. That's my podcast with uh, my my sister Emily, where we do Bottle Crow, which is a Dota podcast. Um, if you like this podcast, you could go to iTunes and give us a rating or review. That would help us move up in the rankings and get other people to pay attention to us. But you know that the best thing you could do for us would be come back next week when we've got another one of these. We'll see you around.
1: See ya.